All right, how's everybody doing this morning? We've got about five that are doing awesome, kind of awesome. It's good. I hope everybody's doing good. My name is Michael Page. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here uh, at uh, Connect Church Pooler. And um, if it's your first time here, like Meredith said, well, I want to give you a special welcome because we really love that you decided to worship with us this morning. And I just want to, I just love that last song we sang about, I just, I surrender everything and nothing less. And um, it just it just reminded me of why we do what we do here at church. And I always want to ask you guys, you know, every time we come in these, every time we come in these walls and come into the worship is, is like, why are you here? Like, I want you to question yourself, why did I come to church this morning? Why am I, why am I here in these seats Singing these songs, opening the scripture, reading the Bible. Why am I listening to this weird guy talk? What's happening? Like, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? And so I always want to be asking ourselves that question because it's so important to try to have a reason to be why, why we're here this morning. And, and my, my heart for me this morning is that I would be here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's Jesus. Because he's good, right? And I love Jesus. I love him. And this morning, just singing that song just reminded me of how much I love the Lord. And I hope that you all um, feel that same way as we, as we begin here this morning. But at Connection Church, um, our mission is to connect everybody that walks in the doors to a growing relationship with Jesus. And like, everybody's like, Michael, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's every church's you know, goal, right? Well, yeah, but our goal is to, I want to see a growing relationship, everybody's heart that's in here. I want to give us the opportunity, every chance we can get to have that in our lives. Because what I believe is I believe God is doing something really cool in our church, man. Like for those of you that are, that are new here, um, this is about two weeks ago, we celebrated our six month anniversary. So we're, we're still a baby church. And it's really cool to see what God's been doing. Um, you know, two years ago, we were five people in a Pooler Karate meeting. And now I look around you, you're seeing people that come out of the woodwork in Pooler. It's awesome. And so watching, watching God work and watching God move is cool. And I'm excited about the future. And it's hard not to be excited, right? When you see God moving, it's hard not to get excited about what he's doing. And I want to jump on board with what he's doing, right? That's what, that we all should feel that way. He said, one of the, you know, one of the common things God's been bringing to out of this house is, is awakening and celebration, right? That's what we've talked about over and over and over again. Awakening, God would awaken our hearts to who he is and what he wants from us in our lives. And then the celebration. And, you know, we're, this is not somewhere we come check a box and come to church and say, hey, I went to church this week. God, you got to bless me this week. That's not how it works. We come to church to celebrate what God's done throughout the week and our connect groups and our lives as we've, been, as we've been faithfully following him throughout the week, right? That's how we're supposed to work. And so, you know, we believe that the church, we talked about last week, the, the ecclesia, that's what it means in the, in the Greek. And it's, it's a called out body of people and not a building that we go to. It's not a place where we come to and, and meet. It's, it's, we're, n- we're not coming here to, to check the box, like I said, but coming here to celebrate everything that God is doing in our lives and around us. Because what I'll tell you, if you open your eyes and watch and see and look where God's taking you from here to here, you'd be amazed. Because God's moving, man. God's moving. He's always active. He's, Jesus said it himself in John. He's always working just as his Father's working. And one example I want to show you, it's like, we're not coming here to check that box. We're here to, to, to affect the communities that we're in. And one, the, one of the examples of the cultures of our churches is, is, is generosity. And today we have a huge example of that generosity to reach out and give above and beyond what's considered normal, right? Because generosity to the American culture is not necessarily normal. Can we agree with that? It's not a normal practice. We give to a point, but not till it hurts, Right? But this morning, I, lo- I love that we get to have, you know, we get to, uh, what I think Christians are called to do is to be extremely generous because that's what Jesus was. He was extremely generous to us in coming and dying for us. And today we can celebrate, the t- if you see on this, the front steps here, where we have 31 book bags full of school supplies for kids who are homeless or one step away from it. 
And this all happened through our connect groups. And Meredith mentioned earlier about our connect groups and how important they are because we believe this is a, a time of celebration for our church as a whole. But during the week, we have connect groups that meet throughout the community, throughout, from all over the county that meet. And we come together and we, and we meet in small groups because we believe that's where true life change happens in the, in the, in the context of, of small group ministry. We believe that life on life is the best way to do it because it says the iron sharpens iron, right? It says in Proverbs 27. And so this is a huge testament of what, you're, what God's doing in your heart. You know, you know what you see is a, is a visible representation of God's generosity working through you. And we get to celebrate that we're providing these school supplies and, and uniforms for 31 students in our area who would not have had it despite you guys and your generosity. And so I think that's something that we can celebrate, right? That's awesome, right? It's good. Y'all can give a hand. So as a church, we believe that Scripture paints a very clear picture. We talked about it last week in Acts 2. And we looked at Acts 2, and we can see in Acts 2 where the, there was 3,000 people came to Christ at one time when Peter preached. And man, that would be awesome if that happened right now, right? 3,000, you preach, boom, 3,000 people come to Jesus. Man, that's a baptismal, logistical nightmare, right? 3,000 people getting baptized, man, that's nuts. Be awesome. But let me tell you, right now, like what God's doing around us and in us, and I think as, a, as a, the Big C church in general, I think there's a lot of things that shaking and moving. And as a church, we believe that it paints a very vivid picture in Acts 2 that we talked about last week of, of what the cultures of our church should be. And we, we've kind of adopted those as the heartbeat of our, cult, of our cultures of our church, the template of how we're forming our church at Connection Church Pooler. And that we're going to be looking at community and evangelism and generosity and serving. And those four things, we believe if you're doing those four things in your life and in your church, you're being a successful church. Can we agree with that? If you're evangelizing, if you're going out and telling people about Jesus, this is the gospel. This is what it means. This is what God's done for you. If you're going out and, and, you're, and you're meeting community, encouraging one another, loving one another in connect groups, building one another up and, and holding each other accountable, we believe that's healthy. We believe if you're being generous with your time, your money, and your energy, that that's healthy. That's something that you, God's going to bless and serving. Like Jesus himself said, I did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And we're supposed, to walk, we're supposed to mimic our life after that, correct? So let's listen. This morning, we talked about last week, Acts 2, we talked about it a second ago. Early, the early church, they were living in community. No one, no one was poor. And that's hard for me to understand. Like nobody was poor in that context of that community. Why? Because everybody was selling stuff so they could provide for their brothers and sisters. That makes no sense to my American brain sometimes. Here, let me sell my stuff so that I can provide for you. That's wild right? That's a, that's, a, that's a mentality that can only be explained by the regeneration of Jesus in our hearts, the Holy Spirit moving in us. That's nuts to me. As, as a church, you know, they were obedient in their pursuit of Christ, and the world saw their obedience, and they were changed by that. And the, the Christ was the centerpiece, of, and he wasn't just an add-on. He was the centerpiece. Everything that they did, he was the center of it. And it says, the, it says in the Bible, it says that, that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because, because they were being obedient to what God had called them to do and, and to live the way God had called them to live. And guys, as a church, I'm not talking about just here, but all over our country, we have to stop asking God for what we think we need and what we think we want and start asking him to show us where we're at. God, show me my heart. Because I'm, Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So show me my heart. Show me where I'm at, Lord. And show me what steps I need to take to get closer to you. And if we're doing that on a daily basis, I promise you, you'll be following Jesus in a very, very close manner. Because like my heart for our church is us that we would be a church that desired and sought after God's presence. Because where God's presence is at, there's freedom. 
where God's presence is at, there's life. There's, there's, there's so much vitality in that. And it's, well, the presence of God is at a church. It's going to change the community. And I refuse to be a part of a church that is lifeless because that's not what I see in Scripture. Okay? All right, good. Moving on. Here we go. So some facts. Listen, some facts that I know that I read in Scripture. And this is some things that Christians get caught up on sometimes because I, I'm going to tell you. Listen, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I'll go ahead and give you a little, a little spoiler alert. Is like so, the American culture of our of American Christianity has kind of spoiled, you know, what it means to follow Jesus. We've, we've made it where you raise your hand in a church service, or you come down front, and you pray, and you're saved, and you get baptized, and you're saved. You check the box, and you're saved. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you lean on Christ and you follow him and you obey what he says. You follow his leading. And so what I'm saying this morning is like, we need to figure out what side of the fence we're going to stand on as Christians in our, in our country, in our city. You know, either we're going to follow Jesus or we're not, which means we're going to be effective or we're not. You know, it's, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a progress that happens. There, there's, a, there's a difference in conversion and maturity right? Because when you become a new Christian, there's a, you're an immature Christian. You have to learn. You have to be sanctified, moving up in your faith. And there's a difference in progression and perfection. God's not asking for perfection. He's asking you to lean on Jesus, allow him to start changing your desires. And when he changes your desires, he'll change your heart. And when he changes your heart, he'll change your actions. That's how Jesus works. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And this morning, like, we have to see, like, we're either an active participator in the church or we're not. There's no middle ground when it comes to following Jesus, and there's no scriptural basis that I've looked. Believe me, I looked all week to try to find it, make sure nobody could point out that I was wrong. Listen, I looked all week. There's no scriptural basis for a life that's lived half in and half out in the faith, right? There's no, there's no basis for that. You're either in or you're out. You're either following Jesus or you're not. You're either going towards him or you're backing away from him because anytime you sit still or neutral, you're backing up right? That's, 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 that's what I've learned this week. And as we jump into this week two of walking through Acts, the book of Acts, we've been following our 412 reading plan. If you guys don't know what the 412 reading plan is, our church has put together a reading plan for everybody. If you want one, there's one at the next steps table, and it's, it goes along from, we're, we're reading through the New Testament this year, and we'll finish at Christmas time. Our Christmas Eve message will be from Revelation. You better come back for that. That'd be awesome. Um, but what I'm saying is like, listen, it's going to be great, man, because what, ha- what it does is it gives you a tool to follow Follow scripture as we're going as a church. And every time you come in here, we're going to read and we're going to, we're going to preach a sermon each, each time you come in here from the scripture that you read the week before. Pretty cool, right? So it's kind of, you got, you got like a, a chance that, you know, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So do it. Um, so what, what, so a question I want, to, I want to kind of keep ringing in my head and ringing in your head this morning in our heads is, is what does it mean to follow Jesus? What's it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, I ask myself that, I'm like, you know, I, I know how to use those words, but when it comes to application, I'm like, what does that really mean? What does that look like in application-wise? You know, what does it mean to, to follow through with what that looks like? And, and as we open, we're going to look at Acts 9 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you have your Bibles or you have your version app, or if you don't have either one of those, we have a television here you can look at. Um, so you can follow along. So as we open this up in Acts 9 this morning, let's, let's allow the Lord to speak to our hearts as we follow the conversion of, Paul, of Saul. You know, Saul was a very bad dude, but y'all know him as Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? Y'all know who Paul is. We've read that he, he wrote 13 books of the Bible. Pretty important guy, right? Um, and so we're going to look at how God transformed Saul's heart in an instant, right? It happened in an instant. And as we pray together this morning, let's, let's, let's ask for God to transform our hearts. Let's say, God, if there's a place in my heart that's hard or it's cold, God, I pray that you would soften. I pray, the Lord, that you would just 
just break it, Father, so that I can serve you better, so that I can follow you more closely. And so that's you this morning. I just want to take a, a few seconds. I want to pray. And then I want, I want us to jump in into this uh, Acts 9. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for what you've done. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. God, I pray for the heart this morning in here that's far from you, God, the one that's just being rebellious, that's, that's running away, God, that's scared. Um, their heart may be cold or hard, God, or they may be hurt, they may have walls around their hearts. God, I pray for that person this morning, God, that you would soften their heart with a supernatural touch, Father, from heaven. Lord, we love you. I, I love you so much. I'm so grateful to be able to just stand before you this morning, just praying to you, Father, just rejoicing in your presence, rejoicing in who you are and what you're going to do in this place. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us, Father. Come and convict our hearts. Change us, Father, where we need to be changed and move in this place. Lord, we just love you and it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, before we begin, I like to do surveys sometimes, right? Everybody knows. I like to, I like to see a show of hands, kind of take a, take a survey of the room. So can anybody think of someone in your life that if they came to Jesus, you'd be amazed. You'd be like, wow, what? Can anybody think of anybody? Five, six. Okay, everybody's got one, okay? If you don't have one, it might be you, okay? And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place if it's you, okay? So, um, it, you know, if that person is like, man, what the heck, man? That, that, what, that, what? It's just amazing. So that's kind of what I'm gonna be looking at this morning. And so the next question I have is, who's ever, and this is gonna be hard for some of you guys, I'm gonna be honest with you. When I was asking, I was like, man, I'm not sure if I can answer that question. Um, who's ever been wrong about something before? Okay, everybody, everybody raise your hand. Come on, everybody. I got two hands, I like it. Okay, great. We, right, who's ever had to eat their words before? You know, I, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. You know, you know, who's ever been so sure about something? No, this is right. This is right. And then turn around. Nope, that was wrong. We all have, right? We've all been in that place. And, and this is exactly where we're going to be at today when it comes to Paul or Saul. I can't, if I say Paul or if I say Saul, it's the same guy. Okay. You got me? So just bear with me, please, because I'm, I'm not the smartest dude in the room. I promise. So this is exactly where we're going to be at. When it comes to, uh, you know, Saul in Acts 9, and, you know, people were astonished when Saul came to Christ. There were, Ananias didn't even want to go talk to the dude. He was like, Lord, do you know who you're talking about? This guy has been killing people, been beating people, been putting people in prison. I don't want to talk to him. No, not him. I don't want to do that. Saul was literally on the road to Damascus. He was slammed to the ground by the glory of God and held there. And God said, listen, this is what you're going to do, brody. Like, listen. That's what, it, this is the story we're going to look at this morning. It's so cool. And for some of you guys this morning that don't know about Saul, you know, historians say that apart from Jesus and the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that Saul's conversion was one of the most important events in history when it comes to our faith. That's pretty big, right? That's a big, that's a big thing to look at. Like this, that's the, one of the, the third biggest thing in our faith. Man, that's amazing. Like he was, Saul was from a very wealthy family in, in Tarsus, and, and his dad was a tent maker, and he took black, uh, black goat's uh, hair, and he, he put it into canvas and made tents out of it. And he taught Saul the same trade. So Saul had a trade, but he was also, his father was also a Pharisee, and Saul was trained as one also. And a Pharisee was basically a religious leader. Um, by the age of 13, Saul started training with somebody named Gamaliel, which was one of the most famous Hebrew scholars of the, of the entire world. He was the best teacher. And then in, in, in some of the other secular um, texts, it says that, that Paul was, was, was far surpassing his teacher. 
So he was moving past his teacher. He was so well-versed in Scripture and the law and all those things. Um, and so what's so cool is by 13, he had mastered Hebrew. He had mastered Greek. He had mastered Aramaic. And he memorized most of the Old Testament by the age of 13. That's amazing, right? That's pretty good. The boy knew his Bible, okay? He knew his Bible. He knew everything he had. There was to know about Genesis to Malachi. He had it in his head. So if he was coming to your Bible study, you just sit back and let him talk, right? Okay. If I'm leading that group, I'm going to let Paul lead that day. Okay, so after finishing his training, he became a member of the Sanhedrin. And basically what the Sanhedrin was, you had to have a lot of money and you had to have a lot of training. And basically it was a rigged ruling system of the day that, that, that just basically interpreted Jewish law. And, and, and it basically is one of, the, it's one of the, the places where Jesus was put before to, to be condemned to death is what it, was look, what it looks like. And so as a Roman citizen, Saul was, was a member of the upper class, and he inherited that from his father too. And he was just, I said it earlier, but he was responsible for writing 13 books in the New Testament. Man, that's legit, right? He, we need to listen to Paul. He, I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's got it together. Paul was the one man apart from Christ that I feel like continues to have the most impact on my life through his, through his books of the Bible, right? Through the church. He, he has more impact on the church than anybody other than Jesus. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome what he's been doing and what he's done. And to say God has, has used Paul to change the world is an understatement. To say Paul was, was a religious person is an even, even bigger understatement. This man knew the whole entire Bible, but he was still blind. You can look in Philippians 3. It talks about Paul. Paul gives his accomplishments. He says, Philippians 3, 4 through 6 says, If somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's a confident brother, right? I mean, he... Don't talk to me about the Bible. I know it all. I'm, I've got to memorize in three languages. Okay, I would shut up at that point. Yes, sir, Paul. Then he confessed in 1 Timothy. This is what he says about his life. He says, even though I was, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in, in ignorance and unbelief. He, commit, he, he, he committed that he was a, a blasphemer and a persecutor. Like Even though he had all that knowledge, he was still a blasphemer and a persecutor of the real true faith and a violent man. Go back to Philippians 3, Justin. I apologize that I didn't read that whole text. But this is what he says about himself. He says, I have more. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a very prestigious tribe. It was the best of the best. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, he was persecuting the church. And this is what gets me. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You want to find somebody that did not break a rule in the Bible? It says here he's faultless. That makes no sense to me, but that's amazing, right? Then in Philippians 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That makes no sense to my brain because what has to happen in a man's heart for him to violently pursue the church and then a few years later be ready to die for it? But what has to happen in a person's heart for that to happen? I hate the church. Jesus is not risen from the dead. Everybody that says he is is going to prison or going to die. And then say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what you call heart transformation, right? This means you've been born again. It means 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone, the new has come, the new creation. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And if you haven't experienced that this morning, that means you should. It means you need to turn your life over to Jesus so that he can transform your heart from the inside out. And I want to go back for a few minutes. For, to a few weeks ago, we, had a, we were talking, we had two points that we talked about a few weeks ago. And I want to hold tightly to these two points because 
they'll never change, but they also mean so much to the scripture. We said God is completely sovereign, right? God is completely sovereign in all he does, in all he is, and over all things, over every situation, God is sovereign, sovereign. That means nothing ever escapes his gaze. He sees all. He knows your heart before you make a decision. That's terrifying. He don't just know your actions. He knows your heart behind that decision. Man, that's terrifying. That's scary. Number two, God is completely good in all he does. Good in all he does. You say, well, there's all kind of crap happening in the world. He's good in all he does. Romans 8, 28. He works all things for the good. All things for the good. And so this morning, as we, I, we read this scripture in Acts 9, I want us to remember those two things, okay? So let's, let's hold those two things close to our chest. Acts 9, 1 through 20. Here we go. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way is, is Christians. Jesus, came, Jesus said, I am the what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. People, scholars think that's where that came from. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. As we start here, I want, I want to kind of talk this for, through for a second. A light from heaven. This was about some, you know, some of the historical documents. Commentary says that um, this was probably around midday. About midday on his journey to Damascus. This was about what time it is. This is a, a, a bright light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, so it's, it's lunchtime. Everybody knows at lunchtime the sun's in, in the sky, right, if it's not cloudy. And it's, it's, it's the hottest part of the day, and it's, it's moving. And so, listen, if a light from heaven flashes in it and you fall to the ground and you get blinded by it, that's a bright light, okay? It blinds you. It's, it's God's glory, okay? Here we go. He fell to the ground and heard a voice and said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be, you'll be told what you must do. That word Lord there in verse 5, it's more closely, it shouldn't be capitalized. It's more closely translated to the word sir because he had no idea who this was. He was hoping it wasn't who he thought it was, but it, it was more along the lines of who are you, sir? Like, it's a sign of respect more than it is lordship. Does that make sense? Okay. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he opened his eyes. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I bet he is. In a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he had done to your holy people in Jerusalem. First thing, if you ever have a vision, don't argue with it, okay? All right. Um, and, and he has come here to the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, exclamation mark. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered, and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained the strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So many times I hear people say, 
I don't know enough about the word. I don't know enough about Jesus. I don't know enough about things. Saul's world just crumbled to the ground, by the way. All that scripture learning, all that stuff, it just crumbled. The presence of God came on him. He's like, what was he thinking on the way to Damascus blind? What was going through his brain? Think about that. Everything I thought was right, wrong. I've been persecuting this man, and he could have just killed me, but he didn't. What was going through his mind? And it said immediately he starts preaching to the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I bet he I wasn't sure about what he was preaching. He just knew that Jesus was the Son of God. So I'm going to start preaching that. I'm going to start with what I know. He loved Jesus to that point because, he, because Jesus spared him. And what I want to show, based on this story, I want to talk about some truths real quick. There's two or three of them that I want to talk about um, that, that even if things don't make sense, we can base our hearts and our lives around these three or four things. The first one, based on Scripture, is, is verses 1 through 4. It says he was, he was breathing out murderous threats and he was, he was hating the church and he was trying to find men and women to, to bring him to prison or to kill him because of the, what they were believing. And so what I want to see, the, the number one thing is God is actively pursuing his people for his plan. No matter where you're at. Saul, I would look at Saul and say, you probably ain't going to use him, Lord, because he, he hates you. Right? Yeah, that's what I would say about Saul, because he, he did not want anything to do with the Christian faith. It says Saul was breathing out murderous threats. What's a murderous threat? If I came to you and was breathing out a murderous threat, you'd probably call the law, right? I'm going to kill you, and I, had my, my, I was mad. You're going to call the police on me, because I'm in trouble after that, okay? In Acts 7, it says Saul was, it was probably, Saul was present whenever Stephen was boldly declaring the gospel to the Sanhedrin. Saul was there. He was listening to the gospel. He was listening to Jesus being preached in the Sanhedrin. And then he was also there whenever they stoned Stephen. He held their coats while they stoned Stephen. And he sat there, and the way people get stoned is you dig a hole up to their knees, and you fill it back up full of dirt and rocks, and then you let them sit there while you throw rocks at them. That's how you stone somebody. Think about how miserable that must have looked. I, I couldn't stomach that, much less see that. And so what I'm going to tell you is, like, listen, he, was, he watched that because he was like, and in his heart, he was probably, yeah, we're going to snuff this out. I mean, he, he hated Christianity. In Acts, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says that, that Saul began to destroy the church, going from home to home and dragging people to prison. Some theologians believe that Saul was the inventor of Christian persecution. How would you like to have that title on top of being a preacher? You know, I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul, but I'm also the inventor of Christian persecution. That's, that, that sucks, right? His belief drove him to violently destroy this new cult that was forming around the movement that Jesus had started. And if, and if I could get into Saul's head, I feel like this is kind of would be his defense. I want to kind of give you a defense from, Paul, from Saul's point of view. He says, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a, that a crucified nobody from Nazareth is a promised Messiah? According to our law in Deuteronomy, anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them, but their power comes from Satan, not God. This is a dangerous, and I this is dangerous, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. That's what I hear Paul or Saul saying as he's going to, to destroy this, these people and hurting, trying to hurt them. And so, but guess what? He was wrong. And thank goodness, right? He was wrong. He was wrong, and thank goodness that our God is the seeker of men. Thank goodness that he comes after us. 
It talks about him leaving the 99 to come after the one. Who's been the one in here? I've been the one that he's coming to find sometimes, that he has to come. He leaves the 99 sheep in the, in the pasture and comes to find me because when I was lost. Thank God he does that, right? Thank God he does that. It says in Luke 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was, that which was lost. And I'm, I thank God that he does that because in this room, my one thing I know is we've all been lost. That's 100% true. We've all been lost because 100% out of 100% of us in here, we are, we've been lost. We've, we've died in our sins and we need a Savior. And if you don't know that this morning, I'm here to tell it to you so we can get it right. You've come to the right place. But I want to show you, and this is no different for Saul, and it still remains true to us that he comes after us. Like, look how he addresses Saul. What does he say? Saul, Saul. He calls him by name. Like, personal. Jesus is personal with Saul. Like, bro, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing these things? What, what is happening? And I just want to tell you this morning is, is like, I don't care where you've been or where you're from or what you've done or who you've done it with. Jesus wants to use you for the good of his kingdom and glory of him and for your good. He wants to use you this morning, every single person in this room. I don't care where you've come, where you've come from. If you tell me you can beat Saul, I want to hear your testimony, right? I mean, I do, because that, that's, that's a pretty bad dude right there. But he wants to use you, and he's pursuing you this morning, whether you believe it or not, to do the things that he's called you to do. If you're fighting him, you can relate to Saul, I promise. You can. You can. The second thing, Jesus is at one with his church. Jesus and his church are one. That's where we get the representation in marriage of one flesh, right? The two become one. Jesus and his church are one. Look what it says in verses three through five. It says, as he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul, ask I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He says, now get up and go into the city and, he, and you'll be told what you must do. I'm sure Saul was thinking something like, I don't know who you are, but I can assure you, based on this blinding light around me right now, I would never persecute you. That's what I would be thinking, right? I mean, I, something's shining on me from heaven. I ain't messing with that. I'm not persecuting you, I promise. And I'm, I'm, thank you. Um, so Jesus doesn't see his church as an it, but as a me, right? This is me. He's not saying, why are you persecuting my church? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? He so united himself to his church that they're one and the same. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago in John 15. He says, he said, you know, we were one with him. I'm in Christ. I am in Christ. He's in me. And this is going to throw Saul off. And we see him, and we see him saying, and then he's like, oh, wait, who are you? I, I never persecute someone as bright as you, Lord. But, but see, there's zero separation between him, Jesus, and them, us. Zero. Zero, zero separation. And here's what I want to say to you this morning is there's no separation between the love for Jesus and the commitment to his church. There's no separation between that. You know, if you claim the name of Jesus as Lord, if you say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. If you have it on your Facebook, if you tell people at work, I'm a Christian, all this, if you're claiming that and are depending on him as your savior to save me, Lord, because I can't do it on my own, this is what that means, guys. 
It means you're serving in the church. You're with all your heart, with the gifts that you've been given. It means that you're, you become a part of, of him. You're a part of him. And this is, my, this is why half-hearted faith don't work. This is why half-hearted faith does, just doesn't work. And this is why playing games with God doesn't work. This is why going through the motions doesn't work. And this is why we see people get burnt out and just, I'm just tired of doing it. Listen, Jesus gives us just love and energy and just passion for his kingdom. Because when we see him for who he truly is, we see ourselves for who we truly are and how much we need him. And when we lean on him for everything, he gives us more than we need because he is a what? He's a generous God. He comes to give us life and life abundantly, not just life. He says abundantly. He steps it up. God always steps it up. Listen, Satan is so deceived. This is what I was talking about earlier. He's so deceived. So many people who think they're saved because they came to an altar and prayed a prayer, and now they're saved. Listen, salvation comes by clinging to Jesus as Lord. And then, like Paul's saying, what do you want me to do? He says, who are you, Lord? The first Lord, I'm going to read a different version in a second from the New King James Version. It's going to help you Baptist style, I know. But like, what's going to do? Listen, what it's going to do is going to show you two parts. The first part, it says, Lord, it means, sir. The second time he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The second part means, I'm submitting to you. Now, what do you want me to do? Those two things. So when he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? That, that's a, that's a you're, you're taking your life from here and moving it to here. And people are, many people are confused of what Lord means. Lord means I don't get to choose if I obey or not, right? I don't get to choose if I obey or not if, I'm, if I have a Lord. He's my Lord. If, if Jesus tells me in Scripture to give, guess what I do? I give because he's my Lord. Not because he's, he's, he, he hurts me and, and whips me into shape. Or, or not because of that, but because I love him and because he loves me. And because he gave his son for me. I give because he gave. I, give, I love because he loved. If he says to love, I love. If he says to go, I go. Why? Paul says in Galatians, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't do it. It's him living through me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why I do these things. That's why I do these things, because he loved me. One thing's for sure that I see in Scripture is when someone became a follower of Jesus, they became completely rooted, committed, and active in the body of Christ, the church. That's why Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? This doesn't mean I go to church. This means you become the church. Does that, does that make sense? I'm not, I don't go to church. I am the church. You're the church whether you're sitting in this building or you're sitting at some restaurant in town or whether you're sitting in the daughter's office. You're walking through Walmart getting mad at the buggy because it's wobbling. Listen, you are a Christian no matter where you go. You are the church. You are the church. Jesus called the church the bride, his bride. This means you become the church. You're, you're the church during the week, Monday through Saturday. You, you, there's, there's, you're the physical representation of Jesus to the world. That is a, that's a heavy burden, right? But thank God for the Holy Spirit. He gives us strength and power and wisdom. And I said it last week that Jesus calls the church his bride. And I said this a couple of times. Is you can't love Jesus and hate his bride any more than you can tell me, Michael, you're cool. We like to have you over for dinner, but we can't stand that wife of yours, Savannah. You can't do that because, man, you're going to have issues. We might fight. I don't know. Probably not. Depending on who you are. 
If you're bigger than me, maybe. I don't know. Whatever. So I I said that last week. And so listen, I say that because I see many people in our community across our country that say they love Jesus, but they're only marginally involved in a church. And listen, I don't care if you come to Connection Church or not. I'm not saying, hey, come to Connection Church. If you're a believer in Christ, I want you to be a member of somewhere that you are pouring into as a body of believers, that you feel like you're growing and that you're serving and that you're giving to and that you're following the Lord in and that lifts you up and is able to praise Jesus in that moment. That's my heart, is that we would be a church that is the bride of Christ. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I see people say, I'm just marginally involved. And, you know, listen, saying I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I just don't like church, that's like coming to a football practice with a tennis racket. It just, it ain't going to work. You ain't got the right material. You ain't got the right equipment to do the work that you were trying to do. It's not going to work out. And I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Christ, there's no question at all, based on Scripture, based on the Bible, that you should be very involved in a local church. Jesus said this, why are you persecuting me? You need to join, get involved in ministry, be, be a contributing member to the body. You have gifts that the church is missing out on when you're not there. You have specific gifts. And look, listen, we're, it's time for the church to stop being full of consumers and start being disciples. Disciples. If you get a group of people who are desperately following Jesus with all their gifts and come together as disciples of Jesus in one place, what kind of place would that be? Man, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't it? You'd see, you would see that place taking a town or area for Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit's more concerned about. He's concerned about the area, getting the kingdom set getting a kingdom built on earth that is in heaven. That's why in Matthew 25, it says, truly I tell you, whatever you did or did not do to one of these, at least of my brothers or sisters, you did unto me. So you see the church and Jesus are one, one. You get that? Okay. All right. Number three, God always had a purpose for Saul's life. Always. You can look. I'm going to read this in the New King James Version. I hope it's on the screen. Maybe, maybe not. Um, it's uh, New King James verses 3 through 9, okay? And it says, as he, was journey- as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Oh, we got it. We got it. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? That's... That's the serve version. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then, he said, then the Lord said to him, rise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Just like Saul, I believe with all my heart that God has a plan for each and every single soul in this room. I don't care how beat down you feel. I don't care how lost you feel. I don't care how numb you feel. I don't care how boxed in you've boxed in your life. I don't care how how many times you've hurt somebody. God has a purpose and a plan for you. I believe he has gifted every single person in this room with a specific and different set of gifts to be used for the glory of God and for the kingdom. Do you believe that? Okay, if we believe that, you know what that means? It means we put it into action. Okay? I didn't mean to trick you there, but it does. It means if you have knowledge of something, and if we don't apply it, it's useless, and it's called rebellion, if you want to get biblical about it, right? And it's what we need to do. We need to listen about that, because anytime in Scripture I see God using someone, he always uses them in their weaknesses, though, right? He's, he doesn't use them in their strengths. Look at Gideon. Gideon had an army of 32,000 people he was trying to fight with. God said, nope, it's too big. Gideon's like, what? How can an army be too big? He narrowed it down to 300. Gideon's like, this is crazy, but I'm with you, Lord. Okay, listen, 
He wants us in our weaknesses. Why? Because God gets the glory, not us. Not, not in my strength, but his. In my weakness, his strength's made what? Perfect. Perfect. Number two is so that, so that we'll trust him and not ourselves. So that I'll trust him and not my bank account. So that I'll trust him and not my relationship with this person. So I'll trust him above all things. A.W. Tozer, probably one of my favorite pastors and, and theologians, says, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Have y'all seen that be true in your life? It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. Until we have a proper view of who we are as sinners, we can never have a proper view of who God is as Lord. It's impossible. We can't do it, man. And like, look at sin versus grace. We can't, we can't see how, grace, how, much, how big grace is until we see how big sin is. We can't do it. And until you realize that you're a sinner, until you realize that, 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 that if, you've done, if you've sinned against God, then what that's done is it, it's, it's, it's killed you. There's death there. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, that you need something to bring you back to life. And one of the greatest blessings in life is coming to the end of ourselves and picking up a cross and following Jesus as he leads. Because what that means is I'm not looking in my life, in my, in my feet. I'm looking up at Jesus where I'm going. Because if I'm looking down at my feet, I'm going to trip. I'm going to run into stuff. And that's why Paul, and that's why it says, that's why pride is the greatest enemy to God and his plan for your life. I got it. I can do it. I'm just going to keep carrying on. And we just looked at a second ago where it said in Acts 9, verses 3 through 6 of the New King James Version, it says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And people are like, what is goad? If you look at NIV and some of these other translations in Acts 26 and Paul's account of this, it says this there in the NIV and some of these other versions. But in the, in the New King James, it says in chapter 9, it says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And then he goes and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I believe where he says, Lord... What do you want me to do is the moment Paul was, was, Paul was saved. I believe because he realized I'm, died, I'm dead to myself. I need you. And there was an instant transformation. He was saved in that moment when he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I, I asked myself this week, what is a goad? Like, I mean, does anybody here knows what a goad is? You either from the country or you're older than I am or you're smarter than me. I don't know, probably. There's a lot of people in here like that. But like God had been, a goad is a long stick. One, had, one end was sharp. And when it was blunt, it was, it was, it was dull. And what, what it was doing was you were, you were plowing a field or an ox. You were trying to get an ox to go. You would, it would be there. And if he would stop, you'd, you'd poke him a little bit to get him to go. And like if, but if he, if he kicked against it, it would hurt himself. I mean, he would stab his legs or it caused him to bleed. It hurt him. And God had been goading Saul his whole life. You, so listen, a lot of people read this story and they think Saul got called at this moment. No, God had called Saul at birth to do what God wanted him to do. But he had been so blind by his religion, by his education, by all the things that he thought was right. God had called him from birth. And you're like, what? Look at Galatians chapter one. It says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me that I might preach among him the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Basically, my point there is to show you that he knew he was called from the beginning but he had been ignoring and pushing God away. Pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing away the nudges, pushing away the ideas that there might be something bigger than what I'm seeing. God was after him his whole life, not just whenever he was being good and writing the gospels, I mean, I mean the, the epistles to the churches, 
but his whole life. And what we're, I'm going to give you two or three of those goads. Like, you can look at the goads. Like, Saul, I mean, Saul and Jesus were about the same age. And so you had to believe they crossed paths at some point. And so the teachings of Jesus was a goad. This is the truth. This is the truth. And as he was memorizing the Old Testament, he knew some of this was true. The second thing is, is the death of Stephen, how peacefully Stephen died, looking at heaven and said, I see, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Like, him say, like that was a go that meant God was working on his heart. But what did it do? Instead of him softening his heart, Saul hardened his heart and said, no, no, no. Number three is the way Christians gladly and boldly face persecution. Like they would go to their homes and drag them out. And, the, and these people had attitudes that wasn't normal for somebody being dragged out of their homes. They were Christians. They were, they were grace-filled and they were loving. And Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Like what Jesus was saying to Saul is that if you keep kicking against me, you're going to hurt yourself, bro. You keep kicking against me, you're going to hurt yourself. But our pride keeps us in that moment of I can do it. I can do it. I can do it my way. I don't need you, God. I can do it my way. So goading was brushed aside, like I said, because of his, his spiritual blindness and his religion. So God had to literally knock him off his horse, pin him to the ground with his glory for him to see. And when he did that, he said, oh, who are you, Lord? What you want me to do? Like he got it. He understood that he wasn't in control. How many of us this morning have been kicking against the goading of, God's in, our, of God in our lives? Kicking, kicking. No, no, no. What's he calling you to that you've been kicking against? No, not that place. God, I'm not going to that dark corner of my heart to give you that. No, Lord, that's embarrassing. No, Lord, I'm not, I'm not getting out of this relationship because I know it's, I, it's, 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 I like it. I, I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not quitting this or doing this. I'm not quitting this addiction. I'm not giving you this, Lord, because I'm going to hold this to my heart and my chest. I'm going to hold on to it. If God is silent in your life, sometimes it means you've been disobedient to the last thing he's called you to, Right? Like if God's, if there's no evidence of God speaking in your life, there's two things. One, you've been disobedient and you need to go back to the last thing he said and you need to go obey what he said. Or number two, based on Romans number chapter eight, you may not be saved because that's what, that, that can be changed today though, guys. But listen, Romans eight says that, that God's spirit testifies with his children's spirit. What that means is if you're a child of God, he's gonna speak to you. He's gonna guide you. He's gonna lead you. And if you've never felt that leading in your heart, there's a question that you need to ask yourself. I'm not, I don't care how many times you've been to the church because it's more important. The eternity is more important than how many times you've opened the door of a church. Okay? If like Saul, you're having a hard time letting go of your life, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you're having a hard time letting go of your life, your money, your house, your family, your relationships, your possessions, your stuff, all this stuff. If you're having a hard time, I need to ask you a question. Do you really think you can do more with it than God can? Do you really think that? Do you really? I mean, get honest with yourself. I, mean, I can do more with it than God can. Do you think that? Sometimes our actions say we do. No, God, listen, when, when we submit to God's ways, we will experience God's will. When we submit to his ways, we will experience his will. That's a truth you need to hold on to. You know, when God blinds Saul, it was a symbol of his spiritual blindness. And I love the correlation between the three days he was blind and the three days Jesus was in the tomb. And as Saul was blind on his way to Damascus, I wonder, guys, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? Man, I, didn't, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> everything, I, everything, literally everything I've been so sure about for my entire life is wrong. It's been a lie. Three days he was quiet. Three days he didn't eat. Three days he didn't sleep. Three days he didn't drink water. Three days. 
Saul's world was literally crumbling around him. Man, everything I thought was true was not true. I thought I had it right by reading scripture and memorizing scripture. I thought I had it right by going to the synagogue and saying my prayers and doing all these things. I thought I had it right. Guys, remember, God's plans are always balanced. He's gonna, whenever he works, his timing's perfect. It's perfect. The perfect, the, the pinpointed time that he knocked Saul off his horse was the perfect time. Perfect time. This morning, you know, listen, we're gonna skip our last point, but basically it's God uses regular people to carry out his supernatural plans, and that's Ananias. Ananias comes up, God comes to Ananias, and Ananias is like, Lord, do you know who you're talking about? And God's like, yeah, of course I do. This is my plan the whole time. Okay, listen, Ananias was scared to death because he knew Paul's past. And so many of us in here this morning question God about our own selves, not much, not much less other people. God, are you sure you know me? You know the things I've done? You know the people I've walked with? You know, you know how many people I've done this with or know how, know how many stuff that I've, I've done here and how many lies I've told or how many things I've walked with? Whatever it may be, do you know, Lord? God's saying, yeah, absolutely. I know your heart. I know your heart. I know where you come from. Hey, I know where you're going in 10 years. I know you. I'm just as present at your death as I was at your birth. Think about that. Let that go around your brain for a second. That's eternity. God wants all of you, but he wants to give you all of him. And this morning, what I want to show you is, is Saul went on to change the world. And last night, my wife and I went and watched a movie. And she never watches movies with me, so I was happy that we went. And we went and watched The uh, Equalizer. It's a good movie. Good movie. But what I learned in that movie, I learned a lot. Like, I always look for sermon illustrations, okay, because I'm a pastor. But this dude was like, he was an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or something. And everybody got in his car, he was always thinking about them. He was, he was listening to them. He was, he was caring about people. Spoiler alert, okay? Okay. Um, so he was caring about people, okay? And so what, what, I, and what I told her afterwards is, you know, even when he was fighting, he was caring and protecting people. And, you know, I was thinking about that for my own life and like, and, like, looking at Saul's life and looking at how he fought for the church after he persecuted it. And what was funny, in Damascus, whenever Saul was going to Damascus to persecute the church, he had to be, he had to be snuck out of Damascus as the Apostle Paul because the, because the people he was going there to persecute the church with was coming after him. Think about the irony in that. So this morning, guys, I want you to see God has so much for your life, so much that he wants to do with you individually, but also as a whole, as a church. And this morning, if you've been kicking against the goads, if you've been fighting against God, if you're saying no, if you've been wrestling with God about your past and about saying, God, I can't forgive myself, so I know you can't forgive me. If you've been struggling with forgiving somebody, I want to ask you, we're going to sing a song together. And I, just have some time at the altar. Spend some time with God. Say, God, Lord, I love you. All I want is you. God, forgive me. If you've never come to Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's a dangerous place for you to be, I'll be honest with you. To know Christ, to know him, to lean on him is the only way. If that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never said yes to Christ, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. If you've never done that, I'm going to be down here. Um, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you and get that right right now. Is that cool? I'll, do, I'll stay here all day if I have to. But I want to get that right in your life right now today. And so I want to pray for you. We're going to sing a song. You come. Um, Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing in our life and in our church. Father, I pray that you would just uh, work in the hearts of your people. God, grow our church, Father, wide, Father, and deep. Lord, we love you so much, God. We love 
we love the, uh, the way that you love us. We love the way that you're calling us. We love the way that you're leading us. Father, I pray that you would just move in our midst, that you would just change our hearts, that you would just do awesome things in our midst. Lord, we love you so much. In your name I pray.